Hi, this is Mike Robbins, author of We're All In This Together, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Mike Robbins. Mike is an author, a sought-after speaker, and thought leader who teaches business leaders and teams to infuse their lives with authenticity and appreciation. As a leadership expert, he works with managers across a multitude of industries, helping enhance performance, trust, and belonging. His clients include Google, Wells Fargo, Microsoft, Genentech, eBay, and the Oakland A's, among many others. His TED Talks have been viewed by hundreds of thousands of small business leaders. Many athletes have learned from his journey of being denied a dream career as a baseball player due to an injury. He's the author of five books and has been featured in the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, as well as on NPR and ABC News. He's here to talk about his new book, We're All in This Together, Creating a Team Culture of High Performance, Trust, and Belonging. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It is such a pleasure. As we were talking a little bit beforehand, I just wanted to relate how you've come across as someone who's so authentic Mm. and really shared your message in a way that other people have a similar message, but you really connect well with people. And I just want to share that observation Again, appreciate you for making time to be here with me today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words and happy to chat with you and everybody listening. One question I like to ask all high performers who come on the show is because we can all relate back to people who have helped us get where we are today. Hmm. When you were growing up, Mike, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, there's a number of people. I think the person that just popped in my mind when you asked that question is my mother. I was raised by a single mom. You know, my parents split up when I was three. And my mom was actually the one who taught me how to play baseball. She'd been a PE teacher. So she was the one that was out in the front yard throwing and catching with me and teaching me the the fundamentals of the game. And I ended up having a chance to play for a long time. And my mom, in addition to teaching me how to play baseball, she taught me a lot of other things. But I've been reflecting, my mother passed away back in 2011, but I've been reflecting actually more recently, just in the last few weeks, and thinking about some of the things that I really learned from my mom in terms of, you know, just going for it. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of challenges that she had to deal with herself personally and trying to raise two kids as a single mom with not a lot of money. But uh, I really, you know, I learned a lot about uh, sort of fending for myself and, and figuring stuff out just by being around my mother. And has your appreciation of all that she's done changed as you've become a parent as well? Oh, for sure. You know, so my wife, Michelle, and I have two girls who are 14 and 11. And especially I remember when the girls were little. And I said this to my mother, because, you know, my mom got to meet both of the girls before she passed away. And, but I would say, you know, I'd I'd look at Michelle sometimes, especially when we had a baby and a toddler, and we were just struggling and things were rough. And I would say, here we are, it's the two of us. You know, we have, we have a pretty good relationship. We're working hard. and, And this is still really hard. And I would say to my mom, like, how the heck did you do that by yourself? Because my dad was not only not around, my dad suffered from bipolar disorder and was not really in our lives and couldn't support the family financially or otherwise. So my mom was really on her own. Plus her extended family was, you know, on the East Coast and we were in California. Um, And it was also the time in the 70s where people weren't as aware or as compassionate about 
single parenthood and sort of you know divorced families. It was in the early stages, if you will, where there was just a lot more shame and judgment about people getting divorced. Not that that doesn't exist today, but it's we understand it better. And there's a couple generations of families where that happens now and people understand how to support better. So my mom was really on her own. So yeah, I do. I had that much more respect and admiration and appreciation going through it myself, just imagining my mother trying to figure it out on her own. Yeah, it's tough. And you appreciate not only the sacrifices that parents have to make, but also the strength that they draw on. Yeah. And I think that is, is a big message with the work that you do, is you help people really tap into that inner strength. Talk about how that relates to the book. We're all in this together, and we don't want to be just sharing problems with each other, bringing talents and strengths and resourcefulness to the table. Totally. Well, I think, you know, part of like even how I grew up, but then, you know, I, I did get a chance to, I played baseball all through school. I was pretty good at it. Um, I got drafted out of high school by the Yankees. Didn't end up signing with the Yankees because I got a chance to play baseball in college at Stanford and then got drafted out of Stanford by the Kansas City Royals. Ended up playing a few years of professional baseball before I got injured. Hurt my pitching arm when I was still in the minor leagues with Kansas City, Bill, as you know. And, and one of the things, you know, so I basically played baseball from the age of seven when I started T-ball until 23 when I got hurt and 25 when I finally retired after a series of surgeries on my arm. And one of the many things that I learned and appreciated about all those years playing sports, and I played basketball in high school and some other sports as well, was there was this sense of, you know, when you're on a great team, and we've all been part of great teams, whether we played sports or not, right? And it's usually the exception more than the rule. Hopefully. Hopefully we've been on a great team or been a part of a group, some group where there was something that happened that was, there's kind of that magical thing that happens with a group of people that comes together and somehow or another, we put our egos aside enough, we get focused on whatever goal we have collectively and we go for that. And in the going for that, there's something that brings us together. And what becomes more important is the collective goal, the collective vision, the collective, what we're trying to create together, as opposed to simply just my own individual ego and ambition and performance and, and whatever it is. And that to me, it can happen in a family. It can happen in a business. It can happen in sports. You know, I thought as an athlete all those years, it was something related to sports. And while sports has a unique dynamic to it, when I left sports and got into the business world, I realized, oh, that whole team chemistry thing that I was so fascinated by and interested in as an athlete, that's not just a sports thing. It's a human thing. The challenge is how do we create that kind of environment in our family, in our work team, in our sports team, in our school, in our church or synagogue, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that's not the easiest thing to do. In the last 20 years of my life, I've basically been focused on this and looking at what are the different human components that are necessary to create that kind of performance for teams. And this new book, We're All in This Together, is really sort of a culmination of the last 20 years of my life and the research and the work that I've done to try to figure that out so that we, I can help, the book is intended to help leaders and teams create that kind of culture for their own teams. And look, when we're going through something as difficult as we're going through collectively right now, yep. it's not easy to do. But ironically, sometimes the collective challenge can actually bring us together as much as the collective goal or accomplishment can. That's so true. I've been talking with CEOs every week since this has been going on and we started to have this shelter in place and everyone worked right. from home. And there's really a, a marked difference in the attitude and how that follows through the rest of the organization. Yeah. When I talk with CEOs who are saying, you know what, this is something that I can't change and there's just acceptance of it. So they're saying, Rather than thinking, how can this, you know, how do we survive this? They're thinking, how can we make this the best quarter 
of our business this year. Right. This thing, we're not going to abandon our goals. We're going to pivot. We're going to adjust. We're going to find ways to do this. And we're just going to do it from home. And we're going to have to pull it together. We have to learn new skills. But it's still, the commitment is still there. The same way the commitment is still there to succeed as a sports team. And that artificial structure really helps. And I, I think that you've seen that as well. The structure of being on a sports team with a dedicated season, you know what to work towards. You know you want to make the championships. You know you want to get to a certain level. Right. And, and in some ways, sports is both harder and more challenging than business in life. But in other ways, it's actually, I don't say easier, but it's more focused. The, the biggest difference between sports and business or sports in life is that in sports, actually everybody loses except for one team. So the good news is in business, like you don't have to be the champion. I mean, you want to be an industry leader. You would love to be the best or, you know, have the most market share or whatever it is. But like, that's not the reality for most businesses, particularly small businesses and even very successful businesses in certain industries, right? So you can succeed without having to win, right? Everyone loses. There's 30 teams in the major leagues. Only one team wins the World Series every year. And the no thing- one's ever being undefeated. <laughs> exactly. No one goes undefeated. I mean, even we've never seen that even in a sport like football where it almost happened whenever that was 10, 12 years ago with the New England Patriots. They had an undefeated season and then they lost, you know, in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, even in a sport like that where you only have 16 regular season games and then three or four playoff games, it's very, or, you know, the Golden State Warriors went 73 and nine a few years ago in basketball. They're, they're my local team that I've rooted for since I was a kid. So that was incredible. And then they lost in this game seven of the NBA finals. So everyone talks about that incredible season as kind of like a failure, even though they, they won 73 out of the 82 games in the regular season, which is insane. But like last year, the, I mean, as we're talking about this, the Washington Nationals won the World Series in baseball in 2019. They lost. 41% of their games, 69 in the regular season, another five in the postseason during the whole year until they won game seven of the World Series. So there's a ton of losing that happens in the course of sports until you ultimately win. But most teams end up losing even if they're really successful because there's only one champion. The thing that sports is, is better and, and easier in the sense is there's a focused season. There's a start to the season. I mean, right now there's no sports, but in a normal situation, there's a start to the season, there's a middle of the season, there's an end of the season, there's a postseason, there's a championship. And then it cycles again. So you can restart and everyone, you know, spring training in baseball that was happening before it got postponed because of the coronavirus. Everyone starts with that sense of, hey, we could win it all this year. In business, there's no, there's quarters and there's years or there's months or there's different things that we track, but there's no kind of like end of the season. And then we celebrate and then we either won or lost and we move on to the next season. So it's a little bit challenging because how do you get a team to really focus around a set of goals and when I talk to like sales teams have sales goals individually and collectively, but you're talking to the, you know, the engineering team or the HR team or the finance team, like they don't have the same kind of deliverables as something like a sales team would. So again, business leaders have to get more creative in how they focus a team's attention on goals that everyone can collectively get excited about. Because most of us are wired, particularly in our Western American culture professionally, to just try to do the best job we can do personally so we can be successful and then move on. Maybe when we get into a leadership position, we start being interested in the success of others. But if we're really honest, it's kind of self-serving because it's like, I want my team to be successful. Why? So that I look good and that I get to keep you know, moving on and being successful myself. That's one of the key points you bring out in your book is showing that there are five obstacles to being really effective. One is like we've talked about, we aren't trained to work as teams the way that people are in sports. And I know that when I hire, 
I always give a lot more credit to people who have been NCAA athletes. I want to talk to them and ask a lot more questions because yes. they've learned things they may not even have realized they've learned yeah. about teamwork and communication, accountability. Well, and, and another thing, again, this is not to say anybody listening who didn't play sports, it's not that you can't learn a lot of stuff if you don't. But one of the things you also do learn in sports is you learn how to fail. You learn how to lose. And not that not any of us like that, but there's an enormous amount of failure, especially again in the sport that I played in baseball and losing, even when you're successful. And that's actually a really important skill in life. I mean, one of the things I think right now, you and I were talking about this even before we hit record on the show is that being able to adjust and to pivot, you were just mentioning it a minute ago. I mean, little things or bigger things right now, we're collectively dealing with this, right? Oh my goodness. The world literally changed. The economy changed overnight in a way that none of us were prepared for. You know, maybe a handful of people who, you know, focus in public health or do sort of catastrophe planning had this on their radar as something that could happen. You know, many of us have now seen Bill Gates's TED Talk from four years ago where he talked about this is what a pandemic might look like if it came to pass. But really smart people that I work with in Silicon Valley and other places who are strategizing and looking at a lot of scenarios. Nobody was talking about this, at least in my world, up until it happened. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness. We have to change course significantly. I mean, one of the things I've been relating this to, and it's so different, and this is somewhat minuscule in comparison, but it feels similar to how I remember feeling emotionally when I had some injuries. I mean, ultimately my career ended because of an injury, but one of the things that happened or what happens to an athlete is if you get injured in the course of a season, it's terrible, it's, it's disappointing, it's painful, and you literally have to stop. And you can't do anything but focus on your health and well-being to try to get back so you can play. And the hardest part about being injured, at least when I was injured the few times I got hurt before my career ultimately ended, was sitting on the sidelines trying to rehab and then being patient enough to wait to get back in and play again. And in some cases, in some industries, it's not like we're all sitting on the sidelines, but there are, there are people I'm talking to right now that their business is literally paused or they're having to significantly pivot and change and all of a sudden, wait a minute, this isn't what we were doing a few months ago now. You know what I mean? So these skills and these abilities to change and adjust to failure or disappointment or change, those are really important skills to have in life. And particularly when we're dealing with something like we're dealing with right now. From your perspective, what is it that leaders in small businesses and other businesses need to adopt in order to be successful during this time? Because it is, we are all in this together. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how many people have picked up on the phrase. It's the time <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> but really, from your perspective, what is it, what are one or two things that if people would suddenly look to think about others, put time on their calendar, think about others rather than just thinking about themselves and whether they're comfortable, little things like that. Right. Well, part of it is, I, you know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about recently, Bill, is, is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You start at the bottom with physiological needs, and then you go to safety needs and belonging needs and esteeming needs, and ultimately to the top of the pyramid is self-actualization. The vast majority of people, myself included, we're down at the bottom of the pyramid right now, focusing a lot on our physiological needs. Am I going to be okay? Am I going to stay you know, so I don't get sick or the people around me get sick. I mean, and we're seeing so much people are getting sick and they're dying and it's intense to even see it, whether we're experiencing or not. And then the second level is safety. Like, am I going to be safe? Are we going to be safe? Can I go to the grocery store and be safe? Am I going to have income to take care of myself and my family? And those are real legitimate concerns that not that we don't have those anyway, but people are spending more time at those levels. And when I'm talking to leaders, 
you know, most leaders I talk to, even really successful people, like they're down there too. So it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like, and realizing, okay, what can I do? Like little things, not, but they're big, you know, taking the best care of myself I possibly can, getting some sleep, trying to exercise in whatever modified way I can, little things like that. And then at the same time, so can I focus on myself, not selfishly, but so that I'm managing that to some degree? And then can I also be checking in with people about how they're doing on those levels? Because again, sometimes focusing further up the pyramid as we get into belonging and esteeming and ultimately self-actualization, where in business, I like to think about my friend Chip Conley wrote a great book called Peak. And the subtitle is how great companies get their mojo from Maslow. And he basically takes Maslow's hierarchy and says, there's three levels, if you think of it in business, there's survival, there's success, and then there's transformation. And so again, most businesses right now do need to, at some level, focus on survival, not in a bad way, but just in a like, okay, we got to stay in business. We got to figure out how to adjust and modify. We might not need to cut some costs or be right. And the reality is there are furloughs, there are layoffs happening, unfortunately. And that's the reality, depending on the industry you're in. At the same time, we can't stay in survival the whole time, to your point, because then it's just like, at best, we're going to make it through, but that's not really the goal. We got to move into that place of success where we can focus on, yes, this is different and weird, but we can modify it a bit. And if we're going to get to that highest level of transformation, I actually believe, again, without sugarcoating what's going on right now, and I know this is true in my own business, I'm sure you can relate to this and everybody listening, we're having to make adjustments and pivots that some of which we were planning to do later in the year or next year when we got around to it. But now it's like, nope, you got to do it now. Like, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So we're creating a bunch of stuff digitally and virtually that we were thinking that'd be nice to have. But now it's like, oh, we have to have it because our clients need it. And if we're going to stay successful in this environment, we got to do those things. Absolutely. And author and writing coach Sam Horn wrote a book called Some Days Not a Day of the Week. And the title alone reminds me to be very specific with my intentions of when I plan to do things. (laughs) That's true. It's so true. One day it's here. (laughs) And we do. We can launch and get into those things. And I like how you put that with there are different levels. So that people could think, you know what? I've done this for a week. I know that we have tuna fish. I know that we have milk and bread. (laughs) I think we're going to be okay. Right. So now I could put more of the attention that I was putting on making sure there was food in the fridge onto making sure we're more connected and everyone else is kind of taken care of. And oh, by the way, go down to the giant on Main Street because they've got more paper towels. Right. We share those resources with each other. Totally. You know, one, one question we often ask in our culture that I often use as an example of sort of the way that we inauthentically interact, and I don't mean this as a judgment, but it's a simple question and it's one that I've been asking in a different way. And I think it's, is the question, how are you? We normally, that's how we say, hello, hey, what's up? How you doing? How's it going? You know, and it may vary. You're in the Philadelphia area. I'm in the San Francisco area. Maybe people, the words people will use will be a little different. Yeah, yo, (laughs) yo, what's up? Yo, how you doing? But the point is, we're basically saying hello. And the response says, oh, I'm fine. How are you? Or I'm great. You know, and it's a friendly greeting. It's just, we don't actually ask the question and really mean it. One of the things I've been noticing myself is the way people are asking me that question, I'm asking them. And I think a simple way we can, like, how are you? and really mean it. And even if it's only a 30 second or minute long conversation on Zoom or on the phone, because we're not seeing people in person, mostly except for our family, the difference in just being able to check in, it's one of the best things that leaders can do is when you start a meeting with the whole team or even one-on-one, ask people how they're doing really. 
and give them space to respond without any judgment, without any criticism. There's no right way to be right now. It's like, how am I? It depends on the moment. I have great moments and I have really low moments and then back up again. It's like most of us are on a bit of an emotional roller coaster, which is often true in life in general, but especially right now, given the circumstances. And if we check in with people, one of the things that most humans really want and need is to be heard, to be seen, to know that they're valued, not because they just did something great or because they, whatever, but simply just because they are. And Mm -hmm. what I've been noticing and talking to a lot of leaders and a lot of teams myself right now is yes, on the one hand, it's taking us a little more time, but that's okay. We need to invest a little more time in our connections with each other. And there's the old saying, you know, sometimes you got to go slow so you can go fast. I think that's as true as ever right now is we got to go slow enough. So we're really connecting with each other so that we can actually continue to move fast in this odd environment that we're going to have for at least a little while longer, maybe a lot longer. We don't really know. I want to emphasize that. And so that people listening really can pull that out and realize what a gift it would be and what an asset it would be to develop those skills for leaders, managers, and darn near everyone on the team to ask the question, how are you? Not just superficially, but to hear the answer and to let someone be heard whether they're struggling with how to make things happen with childcare or yeah. whether they're stressed out about whether they're going to have enough alcohol or something like that. Totally. Cause we can't look again, when we're, we're at the base level of Maslow's hierarchy, it's, we can't really authentically pay attention to any others if we're not at least at some level acknowledging that I was on a zoom call with an executive leadership team that I do some work with last week and we had an hour and the CEO reached out and said, Mike, would you come and spend a little time with us? And I said, sure. And we literally spent more than half of the meeting. I just said, how are you? And we went to every single person. I said, I'll give you a few minutes to just really check in. And what was funny is we were sitting there, you know, we get done and it's like 35 minutes of the hour long. And all we really did was just answer the question, how are you? And I said, you know, to the group, I said, that might've seemed a little long and excessive, like a bit of, you know, time we just took to do that but it's really important. And we got done with the session and the CEO emailed me after and he's like, oh, that was such a great conversation. Like we needed to have that as simple as that was. Like, and all I literally did was say, how's everyone doing? Let's go. And I started calling on people and everyone, you know, I sort of put them on the spot, but it wasn't that they had to share their deepest, darkest fears and doubts. It was just like, how are you? And some of them were doing great. And some of them were having a really hard time. And, you know, most of them were somewhere in between, but just sharing a little bit of their own personal experience of how this has been. And these are really senior leaders very smart, talented people who have a lot of pressure on them trying to manage a big organization through this whole process and make some difficult decisions. But just to be able to connect human to human, you know, so much of my work and so much of this book, we're all in this together, is about what seems simple on the surface, but isn't always easy, is to make those human connections with each other. Because Bill, when I think back to those baseball teams that I was on that were great teams, and they weren't great simply because we had great players. I mean, talent's important. But the ones that I played on and was a part of that were really great, there was a commitment that we made to each other as humans. And a number of those men I am still close with and friends with to this day. And when we get together, we don't necessarily tell stories about games and, oh, remember you hit that home run? I mean, yeah, that'll come up. But we mostly tell stories about the time we spent together and the, the memories that we shared, the funny, goofy, weird things that happened. And then we talk about what's going on in our lives now and our kids and our families and our wins and our losses. And it's like, you know, there's a connection of humans that is more important than the wins and the losses. And I think that that's also true in business. And I think that's, that really speaks to one of the principles of your book that's also hard about being teams is the over-reliance on mechanics. Yes. Where meetings 
were always about the agenda. And now we've got to bring in more about the people. Right. And right. it's the same thing with the teamwork. You know, we'll talk about the hits and the games and this and that, but it's also, you know, boy, wasn't it funny when you had that 18 hour drive together, right, how right. people use their time, right? Totally. Well, it's the shared experience. And when it, you know, what's funny, sometimes I get invited to speak and you know, the context or they'll say, you know, this group, they're not really into this touchy feely stuff, Mike, or they don't really, you know, whatever some version. And I actually get excited. I'm like, Oh, good. This will be really fun. <laughs> So again, I'm, I'm with a group of executives or leaders or people who are very technical or people who focus on numbers and they're kind of rolling their eyes at this. What's this soft, squishy stuff? Who cares? And I'll inevitably, but what I'll do is I'll start the presentation and maybe it's a really big group or maybe it's a smaller group, but I'll say, I'll ask the question, think about the best team you've ever been a part of. What made that team so great? I say, it could, you know, it could be a work team recently. It could have been a long time ago. It could have been a sports team growing up. It could have been a community activity you did as a kid or a church thing, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just some point in your life, think of like, that was a really great team. And what's amazing is like, I'll have them pair up and talk about it or, you know, and, I'll, and then I'll just say, you know, what did you talk about with your partner after I give them a minute or two to talk? And people start raising their hands and they start saying the softest, squishiest stuff. They say, you right. know, we really, we, we cared about each other. We really believed in the mission. We were, you know, I mean, it's, it's yeah. never the like, everyone was super smart and talented or we had the greatest product or service or we were really, we executed. It's, not, it's none of that. It's all that intangible stuff that doesn't really exist on anybody's job description. It's just, it's wow, like what makes a great leader is a bunch of things, but it's usually a bunch of soft, intangible things. Yes, we want our leaders to be smart and talented and know how to do things and explain things. And all, but at the end of the day, it's like, oh, I really liked working for that person because he or she knew, knew how to listen or understood how to support me when I was struggling or whatever, yeah. right? And understood and listened and cared about me. They knew who I was, not just right. a, a cog in a machine. Right. Absolutely. And again, I think we all intuitively understand the challenging part is when, where, why, how, with, how do we have this manifest itself? Because the truth of the matter is whether we're in a pandemic or not, whether we're working from home or it's, you know, back to business as usual, which whenever that'll happen, who knows exactly, but there's so much being demanded of us in today's world. There's so much that we have to, or we're supposed to do, how much we're supposed to communicate, all these different platforms of communication, all this expectation, people are working more than ever and so it does sometimes become a challenge when and how do I invest time in the relationships on the team and the team dynamic itself? It's not really, like you're saying, someday's not a date on the calendar. It's like, oh, we'll do that. We'll focus on that. When, oh, I don't know, we have a retreat in, well, now I don't know when we're going to have the retreat or the offsite because whatever. But it, we think, again, and retreats and offsites are super important. I love them. I'm often invited to them. So I'm a big fan. But if we're only focused on the team when we have a retreat every three or six or 12 months, that's not really, it's, it's like only working out every three, six or 12 months. Oh, I'm going to go on this two day workout thing and really immerse myself and have a great workout. Well, that's awesome for those couple of days. What about the rest of the year? You got to maintain your, your personal health the whole time, not just for a couple of days. It's so true. And I think that one of the, the lessons that's emerging when, from just talking with you here is that I hope that we remember how so much is being asked of us now to be flexible and yep. adapt yep. to the challenging situations and how we're looking at other people and supporting them and being a little bit more forgiving with how they need a little bit more help or support to get where they, they need to go and that they're contributing. Yes. I hope yes. that we remember this when things go back to working together. Yeah. Well, and that's going to be one of the challenges, one of the many challenges of reintegrating, I think, 
And who knows? I mean, again, I, I've been saying more recently, anybody who tells you they know how this thing is all going to play out, they're either lying or they're crazy because I don't think any of us do. We're in uncharted waters. There are a bunch of things, though, I think that are blessings and silver linings in this that we can already see. We'll see more as we move through it. But one of the challenges will be, can we bring some of the increased awareness, the increased empathy, the increased compassion, the increased understanding as we move through it, because there is a tendency. I mean, one of the many beautiful things about human beings is we're incredibly adaptable. We're incredibly resilient. We really know you, you, the best often will come out in the midst of the worst situations. And we've, we've all seen this in our lives and now we're seeing it collectively. The challenge is, again, when life goes back to normal, whatever that means, can we bring through some of the lessons? Again, whether it's both the empathy, the compassion, but also to what you and I were talking about a few minutes ago, some of the creativity, some of the innovation, some of the pivoting and changing that we we're forced to do right now. I think ultimately, you know, that can really benefit us personally, that can benefit our businesses and what we're doing professionally if we bring it forward and we're remembering it. You know, the yeah. lessons are only as valuable as not only we remember them, but we practice them. Yep you know, putting them into practice, like you yeah. said. Let me ask you, we need to adapt. And a lot of times you're very familiar with Carol Dweck's work with yep. growth mindset and closed mindset. Yep. I've spoken with a lot of people who in my neighborhood, and it's like, I have met more people in the last three weeks than I've met in the last 10 years. Isn't that amazing? Walking their dogs or talking and waving to each other across the street. Right. It really has created a lot of warmth in the neighborhood, you know, for each other. Yeah, no, same in our neighborhood. And the funny part is, you know, we're not having parties, we're not getting together, we're not right up close with people, but all these neighbors and we're standing out on our porch and waving here in California. I don't know if you guys are doing this in Philadelphia, people go out at eight o'clock at night and sort of hoop and holler and yell and scream both to let off some steam, but it's also supposed to be sort of thanking all the people on the front lines who are doing this incredible heroic work in medical centers and hospitals and first responders. But again, it's just like, yeah, seeing people and connecting with people in a way that's different. Being on Zoom, as much as it's not my favorite way to communicate with another human being, like I'm on Zoom calls way more than I've ever been seeing people in their homes and their, where they're working. It's just like we're getting this insight into each other that's different. Very true. Yeah. And there are people who have, they're resisting, still adapting to yeah. this change. And they think that, you know, they're, they're kind of in a, a way station, the way I describe it. What could you offer a perspective for someone who is either themselves feeling like this just has to change, we have to go yeah. back to normal, right. it's, it, and they're very much resisting embracing how things are and learning how to adapt to it in a business sense? How do you yeah. help someone who's doing that and saying, gosh, I, I could perform well, I just need to get back to my office and do things there? Look, I think, I think it's important to acknowledge for most of us, some of us may be adapting better than others. But look, this is hard. This is a challenging environment. So I think we can simultaneously acknowledge, yes, this is weird. This is hard. This is not ideal. And it is how it is, right? I love the saying, there's a great author and, and sort of a philosopher that I love named Byron Katie. She says, when you argue with reality, you lose, but only 100% of the time. So what, you know, we all do that in life. Sometimes something changes. We don't like the change. And instead of embracing it, we resist it. We complain about it. We whine about it. We don't like it. You know totally normal part of the process. I also think what's happening right now, you know, we were talking about Maslow's hierarchy. I think another thing that's happening is we're all collectively going through the various stages of grief because whatever, however we spin this, and even if it ultimately turns out that we're fortunate enough to not get sick, we're fortunate enough to make it through and, and ultimately become stronger and more resilient on the other side, personally or collectively with our business, 
there's a ton of loss happening right now, all the way around from the loss of life to the loss of freedom to that you and I were talking about this before we hit record. So, I mean, just think about, you know, kids who are seniors in high school or seniors in college who are missing out on the prom in high school or they're missing out on graduation. I mean, these things, these milestones that you work at that age, when you're 18 or you're 22 years old, that's been your life dream and goal. Think about people who are, you know, scheduled to get married or people who are having babies right now. I mean, all of these things that are like, whoa, this is not what I expected. You know, even me having a book coming out, it's like we had a whole launch plan of what we were going to do and all these events and things. And it was like, it's changed 50 different times. And for the most part, while I've, I think I've adapted and adjusted as best I can, as has my team, I've had moments where it's like, I'm really sad. I'm really bummed. And I think what we have to do is simultaneously give ourselves permission to feel that sadness or feel that anger or that disappointment. It's real and it's legit. And at the same time, then embrace more of what Carol Dweck has taught us, which is a growth mindset. And growth mindset means it doesn't mean we like all the changes. It doesn't mean we're happy about all of them. What it does mean is we trust ourselves enough. I can figure this out. We can figure this out. Yeah, it might take some different skills and some different efforts and some different things, and it might be uncomfortable and I may not love it, but I can figure it out. And the reality is, again, we can't really change the circumstance, right? I had a baseball coach years of mine say this thing to me that I never forgot. He said, Mike, there's only two things you can control in life, your attitude and your effort. Everything else is some version of out of your control. And he was talking to me in the context of baseball. I quit arguing with the umpire and getting mad at your second baseman for making an error and the, the weather and the whatever. Like those are all out of your control. You can't control how many runs your team scores. You can control your attitude when you're on the mound and your effort. Everything else, you kind of are, you know, a bit at the mercy of other people and circumstances and, and stuff that's out of your control. And so I think that's a way we can think about adjusting and adapting, not to judge ourselves, not to judge each other, but to support one another as we're all going through this together. So a buddy of mine named Scott also had a baseball career. Mm. He had been on an NCAA winning championship team. Really? And then really? he also had an injury. Mm. He, he asked me, he says, get a chance to talk to Mike. Ask him, how did he deal with the anger, the feeling of injustice of, of that happening yeah. When you did everything right, you worked so hard. From your perspective, how did you make that? How, did you, how were you able to release that? I was it was such a big thing in your life. Look, it took a long time. I mean, it wasn't an overnight thing. And I had some great support, some great mentors, friends, therapists, people. I mean, and, and I would say, I mean, I got hurt in 1997, you know, and here we are in 2020. So it's been 23 years since I got injured. My career ended you know, in 90, early 99, when I finally walked away from the game after, you know, three surgeries. But it was, it was a process. And there's a conversation that I had with a friend of mine not that long after I got home that had a big impact on me, Bill, that relates to what we're talking about here, not just with respect to my baseball career, but in general, he said, Mike, you know, when you go through something really difficult, like you're going through and it doesn't seem fair, there's a tendency to ask a really simple but very dangerous question. He said, you're probably asking yourself this question. I would be asking myself this question if I were you, but here's the question I want to warn you about. He said, the question is, why did this happen to me? And he said, it's, it's appropriate. It totally makes sense. It's not wrong that you're thinking that. Or have, The problem with the question though is if you keep asking that question, you're, all you're going to do is just get more upset and you're going to come up with reasons or justifications or rationalizations for why it's not fair, why you got a raw deal. He said, but if you change one word in that question, it'll fundamentally change the way you're relating to this challenge and any challenge you face. He said, change the word two to the word four and ask yourself, why did this happen for me? 
He said, it doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you think it's great. I'm not telling you put on a happy face and just be like rah, rah, Mr. Positive about it. He said, but challenge yourself to look for the blessing. How's this going to make you stronger, more resilient? What's this going to do for you in terms of building your character? And as much as in the moment, I didn't totally agree with him (laughs) and I didn't think he totally understood, which he acknowledged he didn't. He wasn't going through the same circumstance. This was my friend, Brian, who I trusted. And I I thought about that in that moment. I thought about it in the coming days and weeks and quite frankly, months and years as I moved through that process. And I think about it right now as I've had my own moments of why did this happen to me? Like not personally, but why is this happening? You know, my own little selfish world's like, we were having a great year. Everything was lined up to be awesome. And then this happened, what? But again, it's like, whoa. And, And I can look back on my baseball career now, 23 years later from getting injured and see a ton of things that happened for me from that happening. It's harder when we're really close to something. So in the moment right now, can we see all of the reasons why this really difficult, challenging situation is happening for us? Not exactly. But if we bring forth, it's a really practical way to use that growth mindset. And I think, look, getting angry like any other emotion is a normal reaction. I think the importance with anger, just like anything else, just like fear, just like sadness, is to allow ourselves to feel it and then move through it. So when I had anger about my baseball career back in the day, I let myself feel angry sometimes. Even now, all these years later, I, I don't have anger as much as like at least a couple times a year, Bill, I will still have a dream. And the dream goes something like this. The, the circumstances are different, but it's some version of Robin's get in the game, right? Like I'm, I get to, and I'm like, oh my God, I get to pitch again? Are you kidding? Like, I know I'm 46, but I could still do it, right? And, and it's, I'm given the opportunity to go play again one more time. Like you get one more game, you go, and I can't get in. Like I can't find my spikes or I can't find my glove or I, I literally can't get in the ballpark. Like there's a fence. I mean, it's, so it's a metaphor of, right? And I wake up usually with this sense of sadness and anger and joy and confusion and all these different weird emotions that I was so excited. And usually it's, I'm disappointed because like, oh, I was going to get a chance to do that one more time, but it was just a dream. And so whenever I have that dream, I usually then will journal about it or I'll tell my wife about it or just talk about it. Like, I wonder why that came up. I don't know, but that's interesting. And just embrace it as part of my experience. Like, not wallow around in it and feel sorry for myself and woe is me. And, you know, but, and again, I think a lot of us, we as a culture don't do a very good job of dealing with loss and of grief. And like you, we, you know, people die and it's sad and we lose and there's that grief, but there's loss all the time. I find parenting to be filled with joy and grief all the time. Like I look at my girls, we were just looking at some videos just last night from when they were little, they were babies and toddlers. Oh my gosh, it was so cute. And I'm like grieving the loss of, oh, that three-year-old, that six-year-old is never coming back. Like I love the 14 and 11-year-old versions of my daughters. They're just different than the little ones. And like, oh, yeah, sometimes my little heart, you know, those little Facebook memories will pop up and I'll be like, oh my gosh, five years ago seems like five decades ago and looking at my children, you know? I always say before my son would go into a tournament and he was, we come from a tennis family. So it was a tennis tournament. Right. And I would say, you are never going to be the same person Right. When you walk off that court, yep. this is your chance to go there and, and show what you have, what you've brought today, and you'll come back with new experiences. Yeah. Whether you yeah. win or lose, you're going to be a smarter player. You're going to be a more experienced player. And I just, I, I just can't wait to see how that unfolds. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know what's interesting about winning and losing? I mean, tennis is an interesting sport. I never really played. I didn't play competitively. But like individual sports in some ways, which I think they're both an interesting from a personal standpoint, it's really only up to you. So you can't really, you know, you don't have anyone else making mistakes. I mean, you know, maybe the umpire, maybe your coach, but it's like no one made an error that cost the match for you, right? 
But on the other hand, you don't have a team. And the thing about a team that's really beautiful is when we win as a team, there's something so sweet about being able to share in the celebration with the people. We did this together. And yeah, there's always a star of the team and someone who had a great game or, or again, on a, in a business team, the person who really performed and produced or the person who created the thing or whatever. But we do it as a team. And when you lose, as, as painful and disappointing as that is, there's some solace in you're not all alone. Like we're all sharing in the loss together. And in some ways, again, I'm, I'm not a big sort of misery loves company thing because I think that can be a real negative spin. But one of the things I've been experiencing just even in the last month myself with all of this going on in the world, when I have these moments of like, this is really scary or this is really hard or, you know, I mean, I'm in the business of speaking publicly and we've had so many events cancel and reschedule, like reaching out to my friends not only my own team personally, but my friends who other thought leaders like me who are just to know, are you dealing with this too? And they're like, yeah, I'm having a hard time. So am I. And there's some solace in the like, okay, this is not personal to me. No one woke up and said, hey, Mike Robbins, we're going to make you feel really bad about yourself by having all this stuff on your calendar get rescheduled or canceled. Because it's like, oh no, I mean, knowing that other people are experiencing it in some ways, there's this weird solidarity that we're all separated in our own homes sheltering in place but we're all collectively experiencing this thing and just when i see the post on facebook where someone says oh my gosh i've ended up in the pantry the last three nights in a row eating all this terrible food i go okay i'm not crazy like i don't really want to do that but i'm not the only one dealing with that or you know i love my family and they're driving me crazy right now it's like okay i'm not the only one you know i mean those things i think are important for us to connect with other people so we're not all alone and it's a renewed appreciation of where you used to feel like, oh, I'm spending so much time on the road. It's like, well, wait a second. I got yes. a lot of different sleep when I was on the road. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just little things like that you're appreciating on the side. I think this might be a chance for you to look at how you were evaluating your success based upon how filled your calendar was. Totally. And say, you know what? There are a lot of other ways to contribute. Absolutely. I mean, and I think what happens is, look, one of the things about success of any kind I heard someone say this. I was listening to a podcast interview actually yesterday with Dak Shepard, who has this great podcast called Armchair Expert. And he, was, he interviewed Alicia Keys. And he said something, you know, Alicia Keys, incredibly successful musician, artist. She just wrote this memoir. But Dak said something really simple that I thought was profound. He said, trying to create success or, you know, achieve success is different than trying to protect success. And they both, and what he was basically saying is like when you're on the climb, and we see this in sports, we see this in the arts, we see this in business, the climb up as challenging, as scary as it is. I don't know if we're going to get there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Is different. Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden State Warriors says this all the time, right? When the Warriors had their great first season in 2015, they won the championship, right? That second year when they won those 73 games, they were the target of everybody. And people started hating them and like, right? It was hard. They're a hard team to hate. But again, when I think about that in my own life, and I'm not the Golden State Warriors, I'm not Alicia Keys, I'm not, right? But, oh, like the maintaining of success sometimes, even to your, to your point, reflecting on, was I always saying yes to things because it was what I really wanted to do or it was the best way to serve or it was simply because, hey, I got to stay busy. We got to stay generating revenue. We got to keep doing this, 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 and this. Again, mostly I feel like I, I've operated in a relatively conscious and deliberate way in my own business. But I do think what happens is we get caught up in our busyness and our success. And that's not a bad thing, but we're not often as discerning. Sometimes a stoppage, a failure, a disappointment, the world shutting down for however long will have a stop. And we have to, we're forced to reflect, oh, 
what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Is this really working for me, for our team? Are there other ways to do it? And, you know, I've been saying to my own team, if the primary avenue for our business, which it is, is me going out into the world and speaking at events, which I love to do. I don't really want to stop doing. I'm really missing doing. I'm looking forward to the day when I get to do again. But I said, there's now a boulder in front of that pathway. We can't go down that path as a business right now. We have to go down other paths and open up other avenues to figure out how do I and we impact our clients and reach people in a way that can be meaningful. And yes, that's a little scary and uncomfortable, but what an awesome opportunity. Yes. And, and again, I think there's that for so many of us. It's just a question of, are we willing to look down and walk down those other paths? And you know, yeah, it's going to be scary and uncomfortable, but so is anything when we're doing it newly or we haven't done it a lot. That's just part of the deal. Yeah. It's a new experience. And yep. it reminds me of another phrase where if you just change a word, it completely changes your feeling and how much resources you put behind it. It's what do we have to do mm. versus what do we get to do? Yeah. And now we get to figure out other creative ways of having an impact in the world. Now we get to be more creative and, and bring in some of these crazy ideas that have been on the back burner. So and, true. And so true. My friend, John Gordon, who I know has been on your podcast, likes to say that all the time. It's you know, moving from have to to get to. And there really is. I mean, that's another thing. When you think about working from home, look, is it challenging? Yeah. Is it different leading people in a completely virtual environment? But I've been reminding a lot of my clients, look, you get to work from home. If you can, if we can feel grateful. Because look, imagine if you work at The Gap and you were a store manager and the store's closed. Imagine if you work at a restaurant or a movie theater, or you run a business like that, where all of a sudden, like it's shut down for the time being. Yeah. And you have to, maybe as a leader, you have to furlough your whole team or the vast majority of them, because you literally are like, look, I love you guys. I can't pay you right now because we don't have any revenue coming in. So again, is working from home frustrating? Sure. Is it challenging? Yeah. You got your kids and their virtual school. And I mean, all of the stuff, I'm not trying to minimize it, but I think that the switching to, oh, I get to work from home. Wow. That's a real blessing. Because what if I didn't, or, or what if, you know, again, there are a lot of different scenarios in which we could play out where we realize, oh, it could be a lot worse than it is. And again, I'm not a big sort of think about the worst case scenario to make yourself feel better. But I think sometimes that's a practical reality that's important for us to embrace. And we can simultaneously be aware of the stress and the challenge of something and also be mindful of how fortunate we are to be able to do whatever it is we're doing. Another coaching perspective I bring in from sports no matter who you walk out to compete against, you're always going to never underestimate them and never overestimate them. Totally. There's always going to be someone better than you, always going to be someone worse than you. And right. same thing now, whatever situation you happen to be in, there's someone who's doing it a little bit better, has a little bit easier, but there are also a lot of people who have it worse and have even more challenges to deal with. So totally. for your position. Well, and, and I think, you know, again, without being melodramatic about it. It's just remembering. I mean, I'm appreciating so many of the posts I'm seeing on social media that are thanking and acknowledging the people who are on the front lines. I yes. saw something last night that, that warmed my heart and broke my heart at the same time. It was all of these photos, maybe you've been seeing them too, of, of the healthcare workers who have bruises on their face from their masks and all the equipment that they are wearing and just thinking again, like, wow, not only are they going and putting their lives at stake to keep people safe, and the rest of us safe, but it's just like the physical toll, you know, and it, and it just, I think about the sacrifices that we've all had to make. And again, we don't want to get into a negative place of comparative suffering because that can leave, lead us all down a, a bad path. But at some level, it's like, okay, so I got to work from home. So I got to do this. So I got to be mindful when I go to the grocery store and whatever else I'm dealing with, just like, right. 
but these people are literally going to work and putting themselves at risk to care for those people. And I think, you know, people who go into medicine, I have an enormous amount of respect for to begin with. And I think most people who become doctors or nurses or first responders know they're going to see and deal with things that are pretty intense. But yeah. I don't think the vast majority, and I, I don't know, I mean, I have a handful of friends and people I know who are doctors and have worked with a lot of physicians. I don't think most doctors went into medicine assuming that by being in medicine, they were going to be at risk themselves. Maybe they might get an infection or a cold or a thing or whatever, but like literally I have to make a choice and people who are quarantining themselves from their families so that they can care for people and try to keep themselves safe. But knowing that we've already lost a lot of people on the front lines and we will lose more. I mean, again, I say that all in the context of it's important to keep those things in perspective as we think about our businesses. Are our businesses important? Absolutely. Does it matter what we do in the world? Yeah. And there's different things we do. Does being able to feed ourselves and our families and the people on our teams, those things are fundamentally important. And again, back to the sort of hierarchy of needs and reality is that, you know, there are people dealing with situations that are pretty intense that it's important for us. You know, again, it's like our parents taught us when we were kids, it didn't come across in the best way because they would often do it from a place of shame when you didn't want to eat your peas or your vegetables. There people starving all over the world, which was true. But it was hard for us to understand that as a kid that didn't want to eat his, his or her vegetables. But I do think there's a way we can sort of balance both of those things at the same time right now. And it's really important. And our parents really didn't have the impression of us wanting to appreciate our position. They just want us to finish our plate. I mean, Exactly. <laughs> That's why, look, I mean, the reality is, look, shame is really damaging and devastating. It does get people motivated to do stuff, not in the healthiest way. But if you shame a child or anybody, they will often react and do what you say. It's just not what, how we ultimately want to parent or lead or build our relationships with our teens. Mike, are you ready for the Mike Quest for the best lightning round? I would love it. I would love it. I'm not a good lightning round guy, but I will try to be short-winded for this just for you. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Earlier, I asked you about a person who was important growing up. Mm -hmm. You think back, well, the teams that you were on, going through school, high school, college, what's a song that stands out that was important for you? Oh, a song, um, Celebration by Cool and the Gang, because they play that at the end of every Oakland A's game when they win. I was actually just listening to it yesterday, so I love that song. If you could put a slogan about your work on a billboard, that hundreds of thousands of business leaders would pass every day as they were safely driving or virtually, mm -hmm. what would it say on that billboard to remind people of an, an important truth from your work? You know, I don't just say it because it's the title of my new book and everyone's saying it, but we're all in this together it really does epitomize my philosophy on life and business and everything that I've done. So I've, I've been excited for this book to come out because of this title. I had no idea it would take on the significance it's taken on given what's going on, but I really think we're way more alike than we are different and we're all in this together. You talked about the importance of being in a routine and I'm a big believer and I've spoken with many, many people who also have a morning ritual, certain mm -hmm. things that are always essential to help prepare them to start their day. What are two or three components of your morning ritual when you prepare for success? So I have a meditation practice and have for years. So I try to do that every morning. It's been a little hit or miss more recently, quite frankly. And I also have two journals that I write. And one is just a regular journal where I share thoughts and ideas and often fears and doubts and whatever the heck's going on in my head. But I also have a journal that what used to just be a gratitude journal that I've now evolved its gratitude slash self-compassion. So I write down three things that I'm grateful for and three things that I forgive myself for. And I just sat here in my office this morning and wrote in my regular journal and then wrote in my gratitude slash uh, self 
compassion journal and it really gets me started in a good way for the day. If you think back over the last six months or so, what's an idea or practice or belief that you've stopped that's given you a lot of personal or professional satisfaction? Hmm. I don't know that I've completely stopped it, but I feel like I've made some progress in this core belief that has sort of haunted me for a lot of my life, which is that I can't really count on anybody. I have to do it myself. And so in a way of continuing to break through that, some of it is I just have my teams expanding and I have so many amazing people around me. The universe just keeps reminding me, hey man, that's actually not true. You have all these amazing people that you can count on. Because it's never been personal. It's not that like I can't count on you, Bill, or some, it's just like this, and maybe it's growing up with a single mom and maybe it's just feeling like I had to fend for myself at such a young age. So anyway, I feel like that's been giving me more freedom and more support by letting go of that notion that I have to do everything myself. That's great. And let's get back to the book for just a minute. When you think about, no, actually, I think that we covered that topic about people um, needing to deal with that because we talked about the growth mindset at that mm-hmm. point. What's an idea that people can misinterpret from we're all in this together that mm-hmm. you'd like to correct before they go down that mistaken path? Look, I think the paradox of all being in it together is that we are all unique and different. And so I think when I say we're all in this together, it's not to sugarcoat or to invalidate the fact that for some people, life and business is more challenging than others. I only know what it's like to be me. I'm a 46-year-old man who happens to be straight and white and live in California and have all the experience I had and play baseball and all that stuff. So I try to be as open-minded as I possibly can. And I'm limited by my own worldview and my own perspective. So I think all being in it together doesn't mean that everybody's equal and it's completely egalitarian and there's no hierarchy and there's no some people have more privilege and access than others. What it means is that we find and look for the ways that we're more alike than we're different and we look for common ground and we remember if we're going to succeed in anything important and challenging collectively, we got to lean on and count on each other because we can't do it all by ourselves. No great success has ever been accomplished in the world simply by one person just doing it all by themselves. And I think most of us listening, if you think of the most extraordinary things you've ever experienced in your life, they happened because there was at least one other, if not many other people who came together and allowed that to happen. Mike Robbins, author of We're All In This Together. I want to thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. It's been such a pleasure learning from you, connecting with you, and being reminded of important truths. Thanks. And before we say goodbye for now, Mike, can you tell us where we can find out more about you and your work online? The best place is actually at a special page that we set up just for the book. It's mike-robbins.com forward slash together. Nice. We're going to make sure we link to that as well as all of your social media outlets and as well as your other websites to make sure that people have an easy way to find you and bring you into their organizations to help share this message that's so important now and probably even as even more important when to bring this idea and the flexibility and the accommodations we've made into our workplaces in the future. Mike, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. 
When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.